think this movie really needs any kind of introduction because I, I feel like the whole probably just the whole episode will just be one long introduction to how funny it is <laughs> um, and like unlike other episodes I, I don't have this urge to conceal the name of the movie for the first yeah. like five minutes yeah in the old episodes we just kind of like say what the movie is and start talking about it and this movie's Anaconda yeah <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna talk about Anaconda <laughs> um I think I, I actually I don't know where to begin with this movie. Sean, do you have any place um, you want to begin? I mean, I'm kind of seeing these images come to mind. I'm seeing a uh, Owen Wilson getting wrapped with a snake. I'm I, seeing, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people get wrapped with a snake. Yeah, <laughs> in, <laughs> in the same ways, CGI. Like, yeah, there's definitely a guy who was involved in the making of the film, and he had to think of like how could we wrap multiple people with this same snake and make it slightly different every time like okay yeah. well we'll take this british guy and have him leaping off a waterfall <laughs> the snake will grab his neck and like turn his whole body completely mm-hmm. upside down in a completely unnatural way and then wrap him vertically as it yeah. pulls him up to this tree yeah that was i think my favorite one because that was in the trailer that actual scene of him jumping <laughs> off the waterfall and the snake <laughs> biting at him yeah, that's like the most iconic one in my memory, and yeah. I hadn't watched this since 1998 when I saw it at the Esquire Theater in St. Louis. Oh, you did? Yeah, upstairs uh, with my brother. Wow, my favorite theater experience was oh, at that oh, place. Oh, yeah, when you saw... Freddy versus Jason. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, and I remember leaving the theater. I was, I guess I was 10, and I remember thinking Ice Cube was the coolest guy I had ever seen in my life because his shorts were like way past his knees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, Ice Cube basically just played Ice Cube in this movie, you know? <laughs> that's that's a question that could be at least a full podcast episode, is why is Ice Cube in this movie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. The only thing I could think of is... I don't know why he's in this movie, but I can only imagine that when they got him and Jennifer Lopez, the producers were like, we fucking nailed it. Like, we got two huge names in 90s music in this fucking movie. Oh, was J-Lo already a big name in music at I, this time? I don't know. I, I Probably. I don't know. That's a good question, actually. I don't really know the trajectory of her career from dancing to acting and music and stuff. Yeah, because she's like so... So much more subdued, I feel like, in this movie than, like, the J-Lo of the 2000s, who is yeah. super extravagant. Good point. Hmm. I don't know. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's funny you mentioned, the, like, kind of the memory, because it had been a very long time since I'd seen this movie, too. Um, and some things I didn't remember, some things I remembered, some things I remembered with, like, a haze. And one was after Owen Wilson is eaten. Um, and they show the snake swimming underwater and they, they, you see like the outline of Owen Wilson's body and his face. I remember like being much oh, more, yeah. you remember that? It's like very yeah. brief. Right, right. I remember being much more scared of that as a child. It seemed much more realistic. And now today it was yeah. like, I mean, it was like obvious CGI, but it just yeah. didn't, 
I, you know what this movie did? Not to like critique it from too much of a film standpoint, but there were there were scenes that were supposed to be scary that they like did not let linger long enough. They were like, cut, next scene. It's like you should have like held out the suspense a little bit. Like, you know, make us wonder mm-hmm. like what's the snake gonna do next? Instead they just like Okay, now we're on the boat and everyone seems to have forgotten that they're being attacked by a snake and held hostage by a psycho. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the scariest scene endings were the ones that would just like slow-mo pan to John Voight's face and then just linger on his face for like five seconds and then cut to the next scene. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and there were many of those. There were so many. Like It was almost like the writer's... When they couldn't decide how to end a scene in a suspenseful way, like let's just show John Voight's face. <laughs> like here we'll show his face when he's lying in a hammock. Like yeah, yeah. here we'll show his face when he's just staring at J Lo. <laughs> he was just probably the best. That is that is the best one. He he was making faces that seem physically impossible. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> That's such a good way of putting it. Like, yeah. I, I don't know how he did those grimaces. <laughs> and here's the thing. I I saw this movie before I knew who John Voight was. And then when yeah. I learned who he was, I was like, sh- I was totally fucking shocked. Yeah. Like, this is a, str- a strange role for Voight. Like, this is a very respected actor. Yeah. He was in, like, Deliverance. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Reynolds. <laughs> yeah. Beatty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this uh, I don't know why John Voight did this movie, but I'm really glad he did. So am I. And I hope that he's glad he did. Yeah, cuz it's amazing and I I, I <laughs> actually think he did a very good job. Um and, and like, especially with his accent, his Paraguayan <laughs> accent. <laughs> he's a, a man named Paul Cerrone mm-hmm. from Paraguay. Like Yeah. They just call him Cerrone, but Cerrone. I'd imagine he's from Paraguay. The double R is like the rolling R. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's an E at the end of Cerrone. So yeah. presumably it would be Cerrone or something like that. Cerrone, yeah. <laughs> huh. I thought I thought this whole time I was watching it that like the accent was so absurd <laughs> mm-hmm. to see that with John Voight. I was sure that when it like came to light that he's actually a villain that he was just going to start talking in his normal John Foyt voice and be like, I'm an American uh, too. I just want the snake. But uh, he just was Paraguayan. Yeah. <laughs> just a snake hunter. Yeah. And by the way, uh, before we get too far from Wilson, I just want to point out his name in this movie. Owen Wilson? Did you, yeah. Did you catch his name? No. It's <laughs> Gary. <laughs> <laughs> just Gary. <laughs> Yeah, his name is Gary. Any any reason in particular you find that funny or amusing? You just like how simple yeah, it is? There's there's two primary reasons. The first is uh, Gary Busey in ah, general. Okay, yeah. And uh, the second is that the protagonist from Team America. I, I figured, yeah. <laughs> his name is Gary. Yeah. <laughs> I think that Trey and Matt just realized there's something like inherently funny about the name Gary and especially when it's like... I don't know, supposed to be a serious character. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting actually to go off on a little tangent real quick. I've I've noticed that about certain names, certain names seem to have like certain qualities with with the name. And I've noticed yeah. this with the name Jerry. And I've noticed a couple of instances in film and TV where characters named Jerry are losers. And <laughs> I mean, I know you're thinking of Fargo. Yeah, Jerry Lundegaard from Fargo. That one, my guess would be like the that would be the movie that kind of started that trend. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also Jerry from uh, Rick and Morty. 
uh, voiced oh, by yeah. Chris Parnell. He's a total loser. Total loser. And then uh, I can't think of the third example that I saw recently, but there was a character named Jerry who was like the prototypical loser in in the movie or the show. And I was like, huh. uh, another loser named Jerry. I don't know why. There's <laughs> something about the name. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, maybe that's why they made Gary Bertier Gary yeah. instead of Jerry, because he's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Gary. But let's not forget Jerry the King Lawler who body slammed Jim Carrey, Andy Kaufman. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. Good but point. he's kind of a loser, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, but back to a voice face. You were, you were saying how... <laughs> I really want a t-shirt that just says... Vo- it just either says voice face or it has a picture of John Voight's face from this movie. <laughs> I think if we made that, like, a lot of people would actually buy it. I think you're right. <laughs> you said, like, how you saw it and it seemed physically impossible. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, throughout the movie, it got more impossible. <laughs> it's like the frown it's, got deeper. Like, you could tell as an actor, he decided, like, as this movie goes on, I'm going to make my face, like, even more of a frown scowl. Yeah. It's like... I. Who, who just, I mean, like something about Voight, the moment you meet him, you can tell there's something wrong about him, wrong with him. Maybe it's like his, his lack of gratitude for the fact that they kind of just saved him and he just like instantly starts barking orders. Um, He also instantly starts like chopping a fish. Oh yeah, that's right. (laughs) Here's this fish, Hank style. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good, a good way to like, oh, this guy's a, a kind of a butcher. Um. Yeah, and but then the face shows up so quickly, and yeah. it's just like everyone on the boat had to know, like, this guy's a villain. Look at that face. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> By the way, listener, if you don't know what face we're talking about, if you just Google John Voight face, I would imagine it would be in, like, the top ten results. And uh, you should definitely get a mental image for this. It's like... Yeah. I, I don't really know how to describe it. It's like It's like he had to, you know, like a lot of actors have to like work out for movies like you know christian bale had to you know beef up for the role of batman i feel like john voigt's trainer probably just trained like the lateral muscles of the (laughs) lips and like the inner muscles of the cheek just so that he could like point his outer lips downward at like a (laughs) a level that requires like a strength of those muscles that most humans don't have (laughs) exactly Oh my god, it's so funny. It is the very first thing that shows up on Google Images if you type in John Voight face. And it looks <laughs> the, the one when he's like staring at uh at J Lo. Yes, where he's yes. like got his head kind of tilted. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that scene is just amazing. It is. It, and it looks like actually there is some guy on YouTube who has who has recreated his face numerous <laughs> times. <laughs> I'm very happy for this guy. I'd like to find out who he is. But yeah. yeah, it is like, I guess if you, you know, listener by now, I really hope you've looked it up. Um, but if you haven't, just imagine someone really, really, really trying hard to do like a, uh, Robert De Niro impression. Cause you know how Robert De Niro's lips sort of like <laughs> curl, the, the typical Robert De Niro depression impression. Yeah, go downward. Yeah. Uh, eyes squinted, head tilted, cockily. Like he, he looks very arrogant. Like somehow John Boy did such a good job with this character that he managed to look hideous and very arrogant at the same moment. <laughs> it's like, and like I'm sizing you up. Like his eyes are squinted. Like I, I'm in, I'm in charge here. I'm Sarone. Mm-hmm. 
crazy. Yeah, within like the first scene that he enters, he he rips on Owen Wilson's girl by calling her baby bird. Oh yeah. Just like instantly asserting his dominance. Yeah, he starts like barking orders about looking at the map and how how they should go, but really mm-hmm. it's all just his big Really, he's this is a plan. He's a con man and a snake hunter, and he's using this crew to help him get a snake, get a, a big snake. Like, yeah, why Why does he need this crew to help him? Like, why doesn't he just use his own boat? I don't know. Why would he, like, fake that his boat got capsized? I don't know. That's a that's a good question. Because, like, I mean, he, he has... Mateo, the boat captain, is in on it with him. Did you pick right. the, Yeah, yeah. Um, and so is Danny Trejo, but he's dead. Um, so, okay, I was going to ask that. So, if you don't recall, listener, which you probably wouldn't if you haven't seen this movie in years, the film opens like this movie. First, it's trying to be Jurassic Park and Jaws at the same time. Yeah, and so it opens just like Jurassic Park and Jaws do, with like this little blip of a scene that's like kind of <laughs> independent from like the actual narrative, just meant to like set up this animal villain and make you afraid and it has danny trejo like alone in this like room just speaking spanish and you just get the sense of this predator coming for him and he ends up shooting himself in the head Mm -hmm. and they they don't they don't mention his connection later do they you just kind of like intuit it that you see a picture on a newspaper that has uh uh sorry i'm so bored of this movie i yawned um no i'm kidding um (laughs) You see later when they find Danny Trejo's boat, Sarone picks up a little piece of newspaper clipping and uh, the newspaper has a picture of Danny Trejo, Sarone and Mateo, the boat captain for the film crew. <laughs> Just these three characters. Yeah, we know. <laughs> so they were in on it together, he and Mateo. But why they I don't know why they had to like use this documentary film crew is is beside me. You know, like why couldn't they have just like paid a couple of like other people to help them? Why, <laughs> you know, like it's a very right. odd it's a very odd plot twist that this professional snake poacher essentially would want to enlist the help of someone like Owen Wilson, which he eventually uh-huh. does, who has no training in anything related to this. Yeah, Owen Wilson in one scene just decides to become a bad guy. Yeah, they. oh, I love the way they do that. <laughs> just sides with Sarone. They're like, Gary! Gary! Gary <laughs> what are you doing, Gary? <laughs> He's like, come on, guys, can't you see the... Let's film this! This guy knows the river. <laughs> yeah, oh, I love when movies turn a good guy into a bad guy, because they have to do it very quickly. Right, and then you know when that happens that that character is probably going to die really soon. Exactly, yeah. Because it's just this instantaneous Hollywood moralization, like, don't become the bad guy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You'll get killed. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, Mr. Ron basically says that something like, the snake worth a a million dollars. Like, he he basically (laughs) says, like, they could catch this snake alive and sell it for a million dollars. Which leads to Sarone using his rifle to shoot a monkey, kill a monkey, <laughs> use it for bait. I don't know why that always kind of like. I know it's. I know it's probably you know it's it's wrong to laugh about poaching, but that scene always made me laugh. Um, yeah. They use the monkey for bait. Poaching. <laughs> yeah, they catch the anaconda, and I had forgotten about this scene, but it, I, it, I think it's my favorite scene in the movie. It's when the anaconda has eaten the monkey and then like jumps up out of the water and spits the monkey out in the face of the British guy. 
Oh, yeah. In slow motion. Yeah. Oh, I love that scene. I think it's <laughs> so a, funny. A slow motion grimace of the British guy. Then I think they cut to either a different character or the anaconda. And then they come back to the British guy who is now falling in slow motion. <laughs> like an expanded grimace. But his isn't like the cocky Voigt grimace. It's just this kind of horrified look. Yeah. And the, the British guy... He's he's very much the lawyer, the Jurassic Park lawyer yeah, of this crew. You're so right. He's just the guy who instantly comes in with the suit and the bags, and you just basically wait for him to die. Yeah. And like you said, his death is in the trailer, so like it's not like anything's building up to it. Like you just know this guy's gonna die. <laughs> yes. And and you know, he's not like a bad guy, but he's a he's a snob. And we don't he's, like he's snobs. A real snob. He is. No. Like, we at General Snobbery do not like snobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like <laughs> sipping his expensive wine and listening to classical music as he's like chipping golf balls. And it's like, but he's just the narrator <laughs> for this documentary. You know, he's he's like a who's the David, David At- Attenborough. I was, yeah, he's like a David Attenborough, but he's also a phony because he doesn't like nature. Yeah, yeah, he's just doing it for the paycheck. Yeah, and little vacation. Um, he kind of becomes friends with Cube by the end. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, they kind of rally together. And when the British guy is trying to escape from the wrath of the snake, Cube is like yelling at him like, come on, come on, <laughs> like keep climbing. And then, of course, he doesn't get away. But like <laughs> before that, before that, there's a scene where they're like both lying down on the boat. I think maybe they have Sarone captured or something. Mm-hmm. And they start like oh, yeah. reminiscing about home. And thinking about like the luxuries of being home, and oh, like, yeah. staring, staring at the stars and Ice Cube, <laughs> like they have like kind of different cultural reference points because <laughs> you know Ice Cube's this like guy from L.A. and this British guy is this snobby British guy, and towards the end, Ice Cube's <laughs> staring at the stars and he just says like L.A. traffic and my cellular phone. <laughs> <laughs> really missing his cellular phone yeah it's really it's actually (laughs) not to give the movie too much credit but it's kind of a touching moment of a reflection on what homesickness is and it's like you miss you miss the things that you that you know even if they're bad like traffic you still la traffic yeah you still miss it because it's 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 home you know yeah (laughs) so fucking hilarious yeah, Ice Cube, by the way, if you if you forget the movie, since we really haven't talked about the plot or who these characters are, <laughs> yeah. it's, it really could be summed up in two sentences. And I really appreciate 90s movies like that. Like, there's there's a lot of 90s movies like that where you can just, like, here's one sentence. Like, you can literally imagine the screenwriters or directors or whatever giving a one-sentence pitch, and yeah. that is literally the movie. Yeah. And Ice Cube, he's the, he's the camera guy, right? Yes. I, th- I think we we know he's the camera guy because when he's introduced, he's got like a like a magnifying glass lens yeah. to one of his eyes, and he's just kind of peering through <laughs> it. <laughs> and then Owen Wilson is the sound guy, mm-hmm. and we know that because when his girlfriend talks to him the first time, she refers to him literally as the sound guy. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, "Shut it, sound guy." <laughs> Yeah, which actually kind of led me to be confused. I didn't realize they were a couple for a while because I thought she like didn't know who he was. So she just referred to him by sound guy. <laughs> they know each other so well that they can quip at each other. Yeah, exactly. And I think his second line of the movie is something along the lines of like, is it just me or does the jungle make you really horny? Yeah. Says that to his and girlfriend. Then, 
Yeah, yeah. And then they go off into the woods and almost get killed, but Saron saves them. Yeah, he does. Um, I don't know what they were thinking. They wanted to get some some wild sounds. Uh, they wanted to record some wild sounds. And so instead of doing it on the boat and just pointing their microphones <laughs> toward the woods, they walk around the Amazon jungle. Um, in the night. In the middle of the night. They're cl- very obviously a lot of dangerous creatures. Yeah, They start to have sex. And then a boar chases them. <laughs> and Cerrone <laughs> pops out of nowhere with his rifle that we did not know he had and right. kills the boar. Yeah, and he brings the boar onto the, the boat and everyone's kind of amazed. And then he says something like, now we have food for days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're all kind of like, what? But he's, he's a wild man. Yeah, he is. Hmm. Does anything else happen in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, here's something that I think happened poorly. Um, part of the reason why Jaws is seen as such a poorly, is that from something? (laughs) Oh yeah. Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. Yeah. Yeah, That's before, uh, that's, that's right after Donovan, that guy dies. Donovan dies. The one that haunts your dreams forever. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) What is happening to me? (laughs) That's the sound of his hair growing. (laughs) Yeah. When his hair becomes dark brown hair. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) As Uh, he becomes a skeleton. (laughs) So, um, one of the reasons why Jaws is seen as a, such a good movie, uh, in terms of like suspense is because they don't, you don't actually see Bruce, the, 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 the animal, yeah, Bruce, Bruce, the animatronic the, the shark. Yeah. The shark. You don't, you don't actually see the full shark until like three. <laughs> did you say the, the Dern? I did. <laughs> you don't see Bruce the Dern. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah, yeah, always a good Dern reference. Yeah. I would say Dern is the last name we've probably referenced the most on this podcast, actually. Yeah, it's there's something real simple about it. Yeah. And it's kind of funny. Dern. Yeah, I think we've only referenced Glenn Close twice. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Even though in our first episode, we Promise. promised we would reference her in every single episode. But Glenn Close is... Every time we reference anyone, it's truly just referencing Glenn Close. Yeah, exactly. She's the eternal form of all humans. <laughs> so, um... Uh, Bruce the shark in Jaws, you don't see the full shark until like three quarters of the way through the movie, maybe. You know, like yeah. I think the first time, you know, first you see the water from the shark's perspective, then you see like uh-huh. a sh- the flipper of the shark, and then you see like more of its like dorsal fin in a specific scene. Like, but now at this point, we're like halfway through the movie and you haven't seen the full shark. And so it's like, mm-hmm. it's like just this haunting thing that you can't see. Anaconda does not do that. Um, yeah, they show the snake very early and in such an anticlimactic way that I actually was surprised. I was like, come on, like all you had to do was copy jaws. And instead they just like showed the snake's head at right as it was hunting a jaguar. It's like, what? Oh yeah. Not even hunting a person. Why the fuck would you show this? Yeah. It's such a poor choice in my mind. Yeah. It's a solid, like one minute scene where there's just this, this black jaguar, this panther just like hanging out and the anaconda strikes it and eats it and leaves behind only a single eye. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Forgot about that. Yeah. Which looks like it basically just popped out when it was constricting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I always assumed kind of had to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very true. Um, because they're clearly copying Jaws because there's so many scenes of like an underwater perspective, yeah. you know, where you can kind of see the boat and like there's ominous music playing, which 
is not nearly as good as anything John Williams has ever done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even at his worst. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, sk- the snake really wasn't scary at all, actually. No, it wasn't. And it's really, really bad CGI. Yeah, like, it, it does not hold pretty up. Pretty much every kill. Yeah, it, and like I think CGI was to this point where they they didn't really quite know how to act with the CGI because they'd have the scene where like the snake would bite like their shoulder to like keep them still, which I, uh-huh. I don't think anacondas do. I think they just constrict. I, maybe they bite and then they use that kind of leverage to wrap their. I don't know why the fuck am I even commenting on this? But the point is like <laughs> people would get bit. And like the acting, like when Owen Wilson got bit on the shoulder, he just sort of like turned his head like someone spooked him a little bit. Like yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't fit with the fact that a fucking thousand pound, 50 foot long snake is currently wrapping you. He was just like, whoa, whoa, yeah. oopsie. <laughs> like, like no one screamed yeah. or anything. Maybe like a, a half second delay too long. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like, oh. And same with Voight when he's climbing a ladder. They should have definitely watched Jaws and taken a lesson from Quint. Like right when he gets yeah. bitten by Bruce, he's just just unleashes this horrific scream, and it's an absolutely horrifying death scene because yeah, uh, Brody's just sitting there watching it happen. Yeah, and like maybe that goes, maybe that's Robert Shaw. I, Robert Shaw was that the actor? Something Robert Shaw. Yeah, and and maybe that was just Robert Shaw's uh, drunk on the job acting that produced such a good performance. Uh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. but. Um, <laughs> I just like the stories of how drunk he was while they were filming that. Yeah, those are always good. Mm-hmm. The, another clear Jaws connection is that the relationship between Quint and Hooper was very much mirrored as the relationship between Sarone and the uh, director of this documentary. Ah, you know, the guy. Yeah, yeah. Because like Quint is, you know, this guy who knows the sea and Hooper's like the science man, you know, who like thinks he knows it and they have this kind of power play relationship. And that's very much happens here where like Sarone kind of takes control, but the director's like, No, we've got a plan and like starts to kinda like challenge Sarone's authority and be like, No, we're gonna go this way. But then unlike uh Quint, who just kind of continuously asserts his dominance, Sarone poisons this man with a poisonous insect in his mouth. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. I never thought about that power play. I mean, they make it so obvious, but the kind of the book smart versus the street smart guy. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) that wasp. You forgot about the wasp! Like, as like, he's confronted (laughs) later. You sound exactly like him. (laughs) I just want you to say all his lines. (laughs) That would be a fun thing to do, to just rehash all his lines <laughs> five whiskeys that's breakfast on the river <laughs> oh man you gotta do it your, your impression is way better oh my god thank you i <laughs> i don't i i feel very embarrassed every time i do it uh if one <laughs> well, you, okay sorry you you said that uh you said before we watched this that this movie has your favorite void line yeah. ever <laughs> yeah and i was trying to guess what it was mm-hmm. and that was one of my guesses, was five whiskeys, that's breakfast on the ah. river, but I don't think that's right. Um, <laughs> Not that one. I was thinking maybe after he strangled Owen Wilson's girlfriend with his legs and killed her. Oh, yeah. When he just went, sunk to sunk to sunk to <laughs> Because his backstory is that he used to be a priest, so like as he's killing her, he like <laughs> says a prayer. He's <laughs> like, deliver me from the valley of evil. Yeah, this Amen. this kind of character bio, this whole backstory of fucking Paul Cerrone is <laughs> so fucking crazy. So he used to be a priest, but he, he stopped to become a snake poacher. Um, someone refers to him as a failed priest, and he 
instantly insist that who says I failed? You know, something like that. You're <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, it was the British guy. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so he has this like you can tell he has this attitude about it, but he's like when I watched this movie when I was younger, I couldn't figure out if he was a former priest or like a rogue priest. Like he because he still <laughs> seems to he still seems to perform priestly duties. Like he's he has these odd moments where he like says these prayers. Like after Owen Wilson dies, he says like a funeral prayer. Like may the souls of the faithful departed rest in peace. And he's like picking leaves off this branch. And like, it seems very like, you know, like symbolic, like he's like, he's not just remembering a prayer, but he like, he's performing a ritual. And likewise, Mm -hmm. like, I think after he's like thrown monkey blood on on ice, ice cube and uh, Jennifer (laughs) Lopez, he like blesses them. It's like, what the, what are you doing? Like, you're like murdering these people. Like, why are you like, Pretending to do these like priestly prayers and shit. It's very weird. Yeah, well, uh, another thing that makes him seem like a priest is that he's capturing snakes and snakes are evil. Oh, yeah. Mel Gibson taught us that. <laughs> yeah. Mel Gibson taught us that. Some stories in the Bible taught us that. Yeah. Snakes are bad. So he's actually performing a very good service for uh, for religious people. Yeah. By capturing bad bad evil embodied in this snake form yeah you know it's funny i'm glad you mentioned that because it makes me wonder the degree to which everyone involved in the making of this movie had any concept of symbolism and i think they wanted they probably wanted some symbolism and uh some subtext but i, I don't think they were willing to fully commit to anything so they just kind of hoped it would work um yeah <laughs> it's it's gonna come across at some point <laughs> exactly uh, They're definitely drawing like a parallel between the snake and Voight. Yeah. It's almost like they have like, you know, this happens in certain movies where like two evil characters have this odd connection and you almost mm-hmm. get the impression that like, okay, so here's, are you familiar with Lake Placid? Uh, I never, I never saw it, but I know it's got a giant alligator and Bill Pullman. Yeah. And Brendan Gleeson. Um, Gleeson. Yeah. It's a huh. well acted movie. Um, huh. Anyway, uh, there's. I'll, I'll, we should watch that sometime, but, um, does it have Oliver Platt as well? Yeah, it does. Ah. Yeah. Platt, Platt master. I don't know. Platt man. (laughs) Platt man. (laughs) Might, you know what? Fucking, that might've been, might've come out the same year as Anaconda. It was with, yeah, maybe a year later, two years later, but yeah, very much that same, like (laughs) pre (laughs) 9-11. Oh man, we have no problems in life. So let's just invent giant reptiles. Right. Yeah. Our biggest issues are this fabricated, like genetically altered reptile. <laughs> no. uh, the horrific terrorism. Yeah. Loss of innocence. Um, but Culturally. And, yeah. So John Voight seems to have this like connection with the anaconda in this movie, which, by the way, there are several anacondas because Jennifer Lopez does shoot one in the head. So, yeah. Yeah. They never. Yeah. So th- it's just a whole new anaconda then that comes around and I ends get, up eating Voight. I think it must be. <laughs> yeah, because she literally blows its head up. Yeah, so there's not just one giant anaconda. They're like a ton. Yeah, um, which completely lessens the suspense. It really like does. you got to have one enemy. Yeah. But John Voight seems to have this kinship with the anaconda, almost like he could speak to it. You know, they seem to be like counterparts, like a yin and yang sort yeah, of thing. Like he can speak parcel tongue. Like he can what? Speak parcel tongue. <laughs> Is that... Oh, That's Harry Potter? For, yeah, ah. for our Harry Potter fans out there. Nice. Horcrux. <laughs> Horcrux. Basilisk. 
So uh, I don't know where I was going with that. It's just that um, he sort of seems to have like a kinship with the anaconda and yeah, that's it. The anaconda whisperer. Yeah. Which the anaconda makes funny noises too. I was talking with a friend about this movie the other day and he said he used to watch this movie a ton growing up and he said like the anaconda almost seems like it makes pig squealing noises. It just sounds like <laughs> Yeah. Wee! I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> it makes Ned Beatty noises. <laughs> <laughs> or Stormtrooper noises. Stormtrooper? South Park. <laughs> uh, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, Steven yeah. Spielberg and uh, George Lucas. Yeah. Um, our listener didn't get that. There's a so- great South Park episode where, well, actually, I think we've tried to talk about this before and just don't feel like i can even put it into words <laughs> yeah that's true maybe if george you, lucas and steven spielberg uh, assault their characters yeah. of indiana jones and the stormtrooper yes <laughs> little commentary on how bad indiana jones 4 was uh-huh. uh quick question yeah. about when void gets eaten by the second anaconda mm. I'm, so, um, I'm so excited so he gets you know wrapped up and he's doing that grimace and then he gets eaten and you know you see this like cgi blob kind of moving its way through the anaconda's body and (laughs) then like j-lo and ice cube are escaping and the anaconda bursts through a wall and like staring at j-lo just the way it did with the monkey it just like regurgitates john voight and then john voight appears to maybe be missing an eye like that jaguar Ah. and then it shows his face and he blinks he like he like winks like it's a very conscious like wink yeah and then he just falls and we don't see him again like what why the fuck did he wink like what is that saying <laughs> yeah um they're trying to like have ambiguity like ooh people are going to wonder if he's still alive <laughs> set it up for a sequel <laughs> uh i actually have a Actually, I have a lot I want to say about this. Um, <laughs> I had totally forgotten about this, and it made me very excited. First, to go back just a little bit, um, do you read Roger Ebert's review of this movie? Oh, yeah. Wow. He gave it three and a half stars. That is, I, I That surprised me Like as I was reading the review. And then I had to, for a moment, just sit and think about that. And I realized, I had to frame it like this in my mind. He gave this an almost perfect score. Like he gave this a he gave this a better score than he's given some Cohen brother movies, you know. Like uh-huh. he he gave this as almost a perfect score, two and a half stars more than Blue Velvet. Ah, <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned Blue Velvet because I want to go there for a mo- minute too. Um, but anyway, so my favorite part of Roger Ebert's review was when he said, you know, at the beginning of the film, um, and with the opening credits, this, uh, written sequence comes up that we read and it says that anacondas are unique among snakes and that they will eat something and then regurgitate it in order to eat more. So they like, they have this weird, like eating fetish, you know, they, they don't just eat to be satisfied. It's like the process of eating makes them feel good or something. And so Roger Ebert, the way he wrote it, actually, I just have to read it real quick because it's so yeah. funny. Um, he had such a funny way of writing, of course, uh, John Boyd's face on my phone. And here we go. It says, um, okay. So quote alone among snakes, anacondas are unique after eating their prey. They regurgitate in order to eat again. End quote. Here comes Roger Ebert. This information is included in the opening titles of Anaconda. And as the words rolled across the screen, I heard a chuckle in the theater. It came from me. 
I sensed with a deep certainty that before the movie was over, I would see an anaconda regurgitate its prey, human prey, preferably. <laughs> and that is exactly what happened with John Voight. <laughs> it is I love so the way funny. he wrote that. I, I heard a chuckle. It came from me. <laughs> his consciousness is like outside of his like physical body. <laughs> Just like, his consciousness is the movie theater. <laughs> No one, no one speaks on rights like that. That is so funny. Oh my god, it is so funny. So it's, yeah, somehow it's the perfect way of writing about this movie. Yeah. Like, because that, that's the thing with Ebert's criticism, which I guess to some is controversial. But like, he's not—he doesn't have some absolute standard of movie. It's yeah, whatever the movie is trying to do, and does it do that well? So like. <laughs> I think he was onto something by giving this a good review because yeah. now 20 years later, like people still talk about it. Like it's still a cultural reference point, yeah. like not to the degree of Jurassic Park or something, which I'm sure he gave a worse review. I think he did. He gave that three stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he gave it which, three, right? Yeah, even though like <laughs> these movies are trying to do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so. I don't know how that really happened. Yeah, I, he he really liked the acting in this movie, you know. And I will say, each character is well defined. That's that's certainly true. In, in Anaconda, yeah. Oh like, yeah, like instantly they're they're stock characters, and you know exactly who is who. Yeah, <laughs> like there's no subtlety. Like the first time J Lo and the director are together, you're like, oh, there's sexual tension here. And For sure. They just love each other through the whole yeah. movie. It's not like that ever changes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, so good. Okay, so um, John Voight. Uh, first of all, in the trailer, likewise, they have the scene of John Voight running up the ladder and the snake wrapping around him. Really? Yeah, that's oh, in there that's, as well. That's too much. Um, and it's about at that point that the tagline of the movie comes on the trailer, and it is. If I, I watched the trailer thousands of times as a child, and I'm 99% positive the tagline is quote for or word for word. Uh, if you can't breathe, you can't scream. So basically this idea of the anaconda is going to wrap itself around you. You're not going to be able to breathe. You can't scream for help. That's not really ever referenced in the movie. What's more referenced is the fact that when an anaconda is crushing you, you're conscious while your bones are crushing, which I actually thought was kind of a scary concept. Uh Um, Also a good little bit of foreshadowing because later we hear some of Voight's bones cracking as Mm. he's like – I can't help but think uh, delighting in the irony that the snake is killing him. I somehow (laughs) think that – and here's where I wanted to jump into kind of some – blue velvet sort of more psychological zone like i feel like voight felt a certain completeness of spirit as he was being killed by the anaconda like a like a full summate um like a uh, synthesis of his of his humanity uh, i think you could probably speak more about this but like that death wish i feel like kind of a he he felt a completion of his freudian death wish in the fact that he was <laughs> killed by this anaconda which then yes swallowed him regurgitated him and then somehow in I believe he was still conscious as he was regurgitated in his like last living moments right before the internal bleeding finally did him get, you know, bid him farewell. Sanctus, sanctus, sanctus. Uh, he, he gave J Lo a little 
irony wink. Like, can you wink, wink? Can you believe this, J-Lo? The thing killed Uh me. And guess what? It's now going to kill you because it just regurgitated (laughs) me. And now I'm dead. It's hungry again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, almost like he was happy. (laughs) Like, good luck. (laughs) Yeah. I found that that, that somehow completed that character. I I felt like that completed him. You know, it did. Like, the wink made it feel like it was somehow part of his plan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know if I have anything to add to that. I feel like that's that's the perfect summation of it. Yeah, but that character of John Voight. Okay, so listener, we'll ju- we'll just give you a little sneak peek. But I, I think Sean and I have to do a. Um, I think we have to do a Blue Velvet re- uh, revisit. To be honest, as scary mm. as that is, um, <laughs> because about a couple days after we recorded that, you had such a brilliant realization that you texted to me. Oh, yeah. You remember yeah. it? Um, I do, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, maybe we don't have to – we'll maybe save that for a revisit because I think it would definitely be worth talking about. Um, but in general, it just – it made me appreciate kind of a lens through which we look at movies on this podcast, which is often <laughs> – where is the fascism coming from? <laughs> and we tend to look at movies as if there's a moment where fascism wins. And I feel like I was watching this movie with that perspective. And uh, it was fun to see the fascism take over the boat in the in the person of Paul Cerrone. Just like yeah. it started small, like, oh, I'm just a little arrogant. So I'm telling people what to do. It's like, OK, now I'm a bully. Like now I'm in charge. Move my shit yeah. to the captain's room. Right. Like, holy shit, he just became a dictator on this boat. <laughs> yeah, you just wait for the revolt. Yeah. It was really fun. Yeah, that's this whole movie was very fun. Yeah. That's what I wanted to say about the tagline, like you know, when your bone or when you're what, what was it? When you're being when, crushed, when no you one can hear you scream. Yeah, when you can't <laughs> breathe, you can't scream. <laughs> when you can't breathe, you can't scream. That's really fucking dumb because yeah, even if is. you can scream, you're in the middle of the fucking Amazon rainforest and there's no one around. Like <laughs> your screams yeah. will go unheard, but to the monkeys and the jaguars, yeah, <laughs> and perhaps the people of the mist. Oh yes, the people of yeah. the mist. Shirishama. Shirishama. Wonder if any yeah, of that's that, true. <laughs> we haven't even we haven't even mentioned them, but that's the whole thrust of this documentary crew. Yeah. They're trying to find this hidden tribe in the Amazon basin called the Shiri Shama because mm-hmm. they want to film them. Which is really interesting um, because have you ever seen these videos, Sean, of uh, there there are tribes in the Amazon that have no contact with the outside world? Yeah, I haven't seen videos, but I like, Googled it last night to see if like, mm. the Shiri Shama were real. And yeah. there were a lot of really fascinating pictures like yeah. taken from helicopters and they're all just kind of like pointing, yeah. you know, holding their spears and like basically naked and all painted. Yeah. So they, uh, yeah, there are these tribes in the deep, dense part of the Amazon where they have no contact with the outside world and um, the like the, the cultural affairs department of brazil as well as the un they have this policy of no contact um and uh, they like protect them yeah exactly so like brazil like tries their best to keep like you know developments of any kind poaching even like flights are restricted in in those areas like anyway um which I think is kind of interesting because this movie goes the opposite direction. And it's like, we're going to go find these people and film them. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if if they didn't have those uh, legal restrictions back then or what. Yeah, I don't know. 
you know, once uh, once the anacondas, well, I guess the second anaconda is dead by being set on fire, um, <laughs> which is a great Ice Cube line. Um, and he's yelling at yelling at J Lo, and he says something like, "Come on, I think I can blow him up." <laughs> yeah, that was. So he says it like. It's very unnatural. That was my um, favorite Ice Cube line. Yeah. <laughs> I I blow him blow up. Him up. <laughs> then he sets him on fire. Yeah. Because of uh, hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, they could have. Snakes. They really could have been more explicit with the religious themes. They might as well have yeah. just gone for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, they get their boat out of being stuck somehow. And the people of the mist just appear and they're coming toward them on these you know like canoe like boats and ice cube's like i'm gonna start filming or j-lo says that and then the movie ends like that's the that's the triumphant conclusion is that they can now film these hidden people so what's the message like yeah we can exploit this culture like we win (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i was thinking about the ending of this movie i feel like some movies I don't know. Some of the endings aren't very satisfying. This ending kind of reminded me of Jaws in the fact that it's like, oh, the good guys survived. Now they're driving, you know, they're moving off into the sunset sort of because Jaws is kind of like Uh that. And um, yeah, both Jaws and Anaconda, I feel like do this. They don't really linger long enough. They don't really like let us like come down off the like, whoo, the excitement of the animal being killed. They just sort of like, like there they go. Credits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like the credits are rolling as like the the scene's still playing out and this movie just fucking copied Jaws. It did. <laughs> uh I I would like to say a few more things about the Shuri Shama, but I've just remembered that I still haven't heard your favorite Voight line. Yeah, okay, so um as I was watching it I realized there could have been many, but for one reason for for I don't know why, um this line stuck with me for years and it was after he kills the wild boar. And he throws it on on board, and he's like, "Wild boar, goes with the tusks, goes for the eyes." <laughs> <laughs> that is a good line. Yeah, I just it's kind of horrifying. It is, and I I didn't. I think I had to have it like explained to me as a kid. I didn't really know what he was saying, and then it's oh, I get it. Like a wild boar will try and gore your eyes out. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know why I just thought it was funny. But the thing about it, I had built it up so much in my brain that it I didn't find it as satisfying when I watched it this time. Oh, uh, that's too bad. Yeah. I was more intrigued that, by his other lines. Yeah. That feels very like Quint-esque. Mm-hmm. Like something he would say to Hooper to scare Hooper. Oh, or totally. Or kind of like Dr. Grant uh, frightening that, <laughs> that fat child by like, <laughs> pulling yeah. a raptor claw. Across his stomach and painting the image of his intestines pouring out. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> kids smell, so he doesn't like them. Exactly. Hmm. Um, but yeah, the sh- the Shuri Shama. I think that's like that's that's a very interesting like concept. And this movie made me wish that more movies like took place in the Amazon, or like hmm. better movies took place in the Amazon, because I feel like it's such a a fascinating setting and it's so unknown and so like there's just there's elements there that are almost kind of like the deep deep ocean that only james cameron knows his name is james, james cameron the bravest pioneer no budget too steep no sea too deep who's that it's him james cameron <laughs> <laughs> like something things that are so distant from 
like our mainstream culture and mm-hmm. it's completely disconnected. And like, I appreciate that this movie at least had some notion of that, even if it's absurd the yeah. way it like explores it. But the thought of like an untouched, uh, uncontacted tribe in, you know, 2018 is like still a fascinating concept. It is. I saw, I saw a picture of, yeah, this tribe that apparently, you know, it's like an untouched or uncontacted tribe, except they were, they had vanished because apparently there was a conflict with people trying to, like a drug cartel trying to move like cocaine up through the jungle. Yeah. And the picture of these, these people is fascinating because they're all barefoot and they had the biggest feet I think I've ever seen. Really? They were like kids with feet the size of like a human's torso. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Very large feet. Huh, like hobbits, kind of. Yeah, kind of like hobbits. They probably just like, probably from like using them so much, they just like grow these intense muscles or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a completely different adaptation. That's cool. Yeah. And I think there's like some stories of people like this documentary crew or whatever trying to find some tribe and then the tribe just like kills them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely feel like I've heard stories like that before. Yeah, which I wouldn't be surprised if those just aren't true and like the main the media just like made that up. Yeah, we we like I don't know why we like a story like that. <laughs> like Yeah. It like it scares us just enough to like not yeah. want to seek unknown things perhaps. Stay away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh any any other thoughts on Aconda Cube? <laughs> cube. Isn't there isn't there a, an Ice Cube song in this movie? I don't know. There should be. There's got to be. I th- at one point, he's playing a song that's. I thought it was him singing. Maybe it was like oh. some other L.A. rapper, but it yeah. kind of sounded like him. I was like, that. that's funny and uh, kind of dumb meta if they did that. <laughs> like, uh-huh. <laughs> let's see if we can throw this one by the audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't have anything else to say actually about this movie. Yeah. I don't know if there is anything more to say. No. Except yep. I I could see them I don't know. The name has stuck around and it seems like in Hollywood if a if a franchise name has has lasted, that's good enough for them to consider a reboot. So, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next five years, there's there's an, at least an attempt to remake Anaconda. And how they would do that, I don't fucking know. But I'm just going to look it up right now and just see if if that's possible. Well, that'd be great. Um, I'd love if they like remade it very explicitly, like to where they have one LA rapper and like one like mainstream female singer. Yes, and like they they cast everyone anew except they keep. John Voight as Sarone. Oh my god, that would be so funny. <laughs> Except 20 years older and even more hideous. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Sarone is back. Like, instead of doing the whole like total reboot thing, like they make like a sequel like 20 years later. <laughs> like Independence Day Resurgence. Exactly. 20 years later. Uh, I, I, I haven't found anything yet, but I'm, I'm actually kind of, I'm, I'm kind of mad. Um, I feel like that should be, that should definitely, I, I'm not getting anything. No scuttlebutt. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm missing something. That has to be. Although I do like, yeah. I just wandered up on this page. It says 25 films set for a reboot or a remake. I guess that means like that would be prime for one. Yeah. Some of these already have been remade anyway. So whatever. 
Well, maybe it will star uh, Lana Del Rey and Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really fun. Oh, what if uh, Angelina Jolie plays Paula Cerrone, Cerrone's daughter? <laughs> That would be very fun. Yeah, there's a, a subplot of some big time daddy issues, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because they don't get along. They don't get along in real life. Am I right about that? Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I, I for some reason have it embedded in my mind that she like hates him. Yeah, me too. Maybe she would wake up and he'd be doing that like upside down, like intense frown at her to frighten her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> toughen that, her up. <laughs> that was actually John Voight not acting. John, just imagine that J-Lo is your daughter right now. (laughs) Stare stare at her as you always do. (laughs) That is so funny. John, great, great uh, J-O-N, John. Yeah, he's a J-O-N, John. Yeah, I always appreciate a good Mm J-O-N. Well, somehow this movie, Anaconda, is still relevant 20 years later. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone saw that coming, except Roger Ebert and probably Ice Cube. But uh, it's been fun snobbing about that. So thank you, listener, for traveling into the uh, Amazon jungle to check out this mysterious tribe with us. Yeah. Um, always great to have you with us as we talk about Voight and uh, religious Dern. subtext and Dern. So, um, yeah, um, continue snobbing and uh, yeah. monkeys, dead monkeys. Yeah. It was really stupid why I said that. We're pretty pretty sure, <laughs> pretty sure that uh, no one actually listens to this mm-hmm. anymore. Um, I think yeah, there's a good chance that. But I, I think we could still put some faith in our one listener. Yeah, that's but, true. Yeah, maybe we got our one listener out there. So, one listener, if you uh, if you have some ideas for movies, please send them our way. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, because we've now done 63, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a little harder to find the right ones. <laughs> I know, but what did we say? Uh, oh, The Prestige. The we, Prestige, We want to yeah. do The Prestige. Yeah, we uh, had a good a good reason to make fun of Chris Nolan uh-huh. at any time. Yeah. And little uh little alpha male rivalry between Wolverine and Batman. Oh, yeah. Good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, with a little intercession of Bowie. Mm-hmm. Tesla. Tesla. Tesla and of course Michael Caine yeah exactly (laughs) alrighty listener well thank you very much and uh, we bid you farewell and good day good day Sanctus